0: Hello, Podcast Village. Welcome to Colorblind, Race Across Generations. I'm your host, Vanessa Eccles, along with technical producer, Keith.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: So this podcast was very interesting on many levels. First of all, we'll just let you know a little behind-the-scenes thing. This was just, boy, the technical grimms were out to get us.
1: But we, we overcame somehow. Yes, we somehow. persevered. Yes.
0: And so this week we are talking about uh, gendered racism.
1: Just in case you thought racism was bad enough.
0: So yeah, here's another exactly, here's another layer. So we are going to peel back the onion, as they say. Speaking with Dr. Kimberly Hardin, who is a professor in communication studies at Seattle University. And this whole idea of gendered racism was part of, well, the focus of her dissertation. So let's just dive right into this, because we've heard a lot about this whole idea of intersectionality. So we're going to explain what that means in terms of gender racism. So, here we go. Dr. Kimberly Harden, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. So your research is about this issue of gendered racism. So, for the podcast village, explains to us. Explain it to us. What is gendered racism?
1: So, gendered racism is basically the intersection between racism and sexism. So, um, it really applies to non-white males. So, um, you know, black women experience it. Black men experience it. Um, Asian American women, Asian American men. So it's really just the intersection of racism and sexism.
0: So we hear this term a lot when we're talking about issues of race and that is intersectionality. So this is exactly what that is. Right. So let's talk a little bit about your research. First of all, why were you interested in pursuing this whole idea of gendered racism for your dissertation?
1: Well, I've been teaching for a long time, and my first experiences teaching um, was that I was the only woman of color, and there were only a handful of men. And um, let me rephrase that. I was the only black woman. Um, And so just seeing that there weren't very many uh, women of color and even fewer um, African-American men faculty members uh, just really piqued my interest as to why that is. Um, it's not that we're uneducated and aren't available or, or interested in teaching. It's just that we don't have those opportunities. And so I really wanted to investigate and speak to um, the few faculty members that I could get in contact with um, and also administrators to find out what the, the challenges were to um, hiring African American males.
0: And so what did you find, if you could kind of boil it down to us, for a couple of the highlights? As you talk to people, as you did your research, what did they tell you about this whole idea of gendered racism and how it affected them?
1: Well, I've heard so many just kind of interesting and crazy stories. I've heard professors say, professors of color say that um, hiring committees, which were uh, white hiring committees, tell them that, they were too academic um, and that's why they didn't get a job, um, which is actually kind of weird considering you would want your professors to be academic, right? Um, so they, they've told stories about that. They told stories how, um, white women on the hiring committees would, um, you know, kind of, gra- you know, grab their purses or their personal belongings as though they were going to be robbed or personally attacked. So it's the same, you know, drama stereotypes that we deal with on a regular basis, um, that black men are, um, you know, too masculine, that they have a sexual prowess, um, that white women falsely believe is always geared towards them um, and things of that nature.
0: Well, just out of curiosity, what does too academic mean? That almost sounds like you're saying, you're just too smart for this job.
1: That's how I interpret it. Um, and when I was told these things, I was like, oh, so they weren't expecting you to be a, a smart person of color. They expected you to be mediocre so they could turn around and say, oh, well, you don't meet the qualifications. So it's kind of that old saying, darned if you do, darned if you don't. Um So that was, to me, that was probably the most interesting um, excuse that I've heard was that people said, oh, you're too academic. And I asked a few people, well, did you challenge that? Did you ask them what they meant by that? Um, A few said yes, and they were just told that they didn't feel that students would be able to follow along. Um, And then other people said that they just didn't bother asking the question because they read between the lines.
0: So did anything about what you found surprise you or shock you or saddened you more than you thought it would?
1: I wasn't really surprised because that time that we've lived in. I mean, you know, people say that it just started coming out when, you know, Trump took office. But this has been going on for a long time. Um, So I wasn't really surprised. Um, Now it's more abrasive. It's more in your face. Like, for example, um, I believe the company was Uh, Cynet Systems, who posted the ad yesterday saying that they wanted uh, Caucasian uh, employees only or they preferred Caucasian applicants only. Um, And that goes across many industries. It's not just, you know, uh, technology companies. That also applies in academics where um, administrators, hiring committees, HR, um, believe that you have to be a white male in order to be... Intelligent and get your point across to students, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, there was research done by uh, Churn and Halpern in 2016 that actually said students, including white students, actually preferred having students, uh, teachers, and faculty members of color.
0: But and why was uh, that?
1: I'm
0: sorry. And why was that? Did they say why?
1: Um, Their research found that students found that faculty of color were more welcoming and inviting. Um, We're more um, open and honest. We don't just lecture and pretend like we know everything. If we don't know, we admit that we don't know and we try to find the answer. Um, And just generally, we're more personable.
0: So much of your research focused on how this plays out in the academic world. How does this play out in terms of, because it applies to other industries as well?
1: Yes. Well, it applies to academics because uh, my research found that there's only 6% um, African-American faculty at colleges and universities. And that was actually probably the most surprising to me that we only make up 6%. Um, and so I was trying to find out why, what are the barriers? And it's because there's really no attempt to recruit us. Um, you know, when I spoke to administrators, I asked, you know, well, have you reached out to HBCUs? Have you gone to these predominantly black organizations? And most of the time, the answer was, no, we never thought about that. Or they would make excuses as to, um, we don't have that in our budget to go to these places, but I remind them, well, you we just spent X amount of money going to an Ivy League school to recruit teachers or professors, so you can't say that you don't have the time or the money when you're just doing it, you just doing it elsewhere. Um, and so that's that's probably the the main finding that I, that I found uh, from the administrative side. Taking <laughs> to faculty members, they experience a lot of uh, racism and microaggression from their colleagues. Um, and it's called um, workplace bullying and that was coined by Leah Leah Hollis from Morgan State University. She's been doing research on bullying in the Ivy tower. Um, and so my findings with the males is that they are experiencing it a, a lot more often than women of color. Um, and again, a lot of that has to do with the stereotype that, uh, black men are overly aggressive or they're hypersexual. Um, and so there were stories where someone had their check cut um, shortened because they had a prior speaking engagement, although the school had agreed to pay him his salary for going out on behalf of the university, um, the admin assistant decided to dock his pay. And when he questioned her about it, she automatically called the security. And he's like, well, why are you calling security? She's like, well, I feel threatened. And he's like, well, I didn't raise my voice. I didn't attack you or anything like that, but they're automatically going to call security. And we see this time and time again, um, particularly with black males, uh, you know, having security calls, but also now with um, people of color in general that, you know, we're, we're classified as uh, aggressive, threatening, you know, all of those those stereotypes. And just so, because someone doesn't like how we're saying things.
0: So we've talked about administrators, faculty. How does this affect students?
1: So how this just plays out for for students, um, it plays out because students of color are um, they're, receive, they're receiving backlash and and more negativity mm-hmm. from white professors, um, and this is in the form of microaggressions. So, for example. Um, From what I've been told and from the research that I found was that, you know, white professors will tell students of color, oh, you speak English very well or you're accredited to your race or you're so articulate and things like that. Um, They also have um, perception bias where they don't allow or encourage uh, students of color to participate in groups, particularly black male athletes. Um, They usually just give them a pass and say, oh, you're going to be traveling, so I'll just count your assignment as done. And students have come to me in tears saying, I don't want to just get a pass. I actually want to do the work. I want to learn. That's why I'm here. Um, Then there's also the stereotype that students are only here on an athletic scholarship versus an academic scholarship. So students are, are taking this. They're internalizing it. They're really struggling with racial battle fatigue, uh, which unfortunately means that they are dropping out of school. Um, And, of course, if you drop out of school and you don't have your education, that means that you're limited with your career track. Um, So it's just become a vicious cycle that could be stopped if educators, particularly white educators and white administrators, just paused, looked at the situation, and reevaluated it.
0: I guess my question is: When we're not talking about academics, when we're talking mm-hmm. about other professions, whether it be medicine, law, business, something outside of academia, academics, what? How does this all translate into that? Into other professions outside of colleges and universities and higher education?
1: Same thing. Um, employer employees uh, of color um, don't stick around long. Um, there was research that said that. Um, It costs the turnover rate for losing uh, employees of color. It costs industries $64 billion a year to replace them. So they'll go, they'll stay for a short term, and then they'll leave um, because they're just so fed up and frustrated. Um, So it's not necessarily that they're being terminated. A lot of them are leaving on their own volitions just because of the stress of the racial battle fatigue.
0: And how does gendered racism play out in terms of health care, because that's an issue. It's also related to that, particularly the whole idea of uh, maternal health care for African-American women.
1: Right. So a lot of health care providers, and I actually can speak to this a little bit because I used to work in healthcare. care, um, a lot of, of white providers um just don't see the value in black lives. Um, You know, there's a stereotype that, um, especially regarding maternal child health, that uh, black women um, overpopulate, um, that they have too many children, that they're welfare mothers, that, you know, all of those stereotypes. And so they just don't really focus on making sure that black women have the appropriate health care because it's just like, okay, well, you passed away. Well, good. We don't need another burden to the system. That's how they're viewed as a burden on the system.
0: And how about the issue of police, what? police brutality?
1: Um, You know, same stereotypes in, in the same situation you know black people and and people of color in general are viewed as a burden on the system on you know the american white system where you know some white people still have the belief that there is a such thing as race and that you know white is right which is incorrect race is a social construct of course um and they tend to forget that you know most americans are immigrants it doesn't matter if you're white Red, brown, yellow, or whatever, and so they have police. The the bad police officers have this mindset of, you know, it doesn't your life doesn't matter. You know, it's just one less bad person on the street, and most of the time we're not even bad. They don't know us. We may have, you know, committed a um, inappropriate act. Does't mean that we committed a bad act It doesn't mean that we are bad people. Um, but you know, some people just wants to be the judge and the executioner at the same time.
0: And does this relate to the whole idea of the perception that you might be in a more dangerous situation, not only if you are a person of color, but also if you are a male person of color? when it comes to something as basic as a traffic stop?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I just read an article that there was um, a a new product uh, that was developed called the No Reach Pack, where uh, people of color can attach it to their passenger side, to the driver's side door, um, and if they get pulled over, they put their hands on the steering wheel or throw them out the door and tell the officer to open the door and get their ID and license registration, all of that out of the pack um so i think that police brutality not only affects african-american males but it's also starting to impact african-american women more as well um and that stereotype is because you know black women don't know how to shut up and when an officer tells us to shut up and we keep talking then they view us as being aggressive um and so they will respond in in such a way that you know will shut us up unfortunately Um, but so for the African-American man it's their their physical bodies uh, that are threatening and for African-American women it's our our mouth our our verbal acumen uh, that makes us a threat.
0: So from your research what did you find people felt was the biggest hurdle or obstacle was it gender or was it race? Race. Definitely, race. race, trumping, gender. Yes. um, so everyone that I spoke
1: to, the first word out of their mouth was, because I'm black or because I'm you know Hispanic or whatever. So it all boiled down to race. Um, and then the second comment was because I'm a male, because I'm a male. Um, and And so I think race was the primary factor um, because they realized that had they been white, they would not have been treated that way. If they're a white male, they would not have been treated that way. But by virtue of their race, they were treated in such a way.
0: So for those who are listening who are wondering, like, how does this affect me if you are not a person of color, um, how does this whole idea of the intersection of race and gender affect us as a whole, as people? What affects us on
1: on many levels, but I'm just going to speak about how it affects us professionally. Um, you know, a lot of times, you, uh, you know, white administrators or or hiring managers are reluctant to hire people of color based on you know their own bias and gender racism, but they're missing out on a lot of talented individuals, and it's really unfortunate that they're not willing to grow their organization, to grow their profit margin, um, to grow their customer base simply because they don't want to hire um, a person that does not look like them.
0: So something as basic as that?
1: Something as basic as that. Um, even, you know, the situation, there's a, a article about California passing the no hair discrimination law, and everyone was like, oh, this is great. California is doing this. And I'm like, why isn't this a national policy? No one should be discriminated against, you know, because of their hair. Um, and they're like, oh well, you know, natural hair is so unkempt. Um, and I have to laugh at at that because Caucasians and, and Asian Americans have natural hair. Doesn't mean that it's unkempt. And the way I explained it was, if you really think about someone with natural hair or with locks or, or braids in particular, think about how creative we are, because It's not an easy thing to maintain natural hair, to style natural hair, to do all of these things that we do with natural hair. So the way I look at it, instead of making it um, a deficit, make it a benefit because you can realize, look at the candidate and say, oh, well, they're rocking their locks and they have this, you know, amazing hairstyle that they did themselves. Think about what they can do in the workforce if they have the opportunity. So people just need to get out of their, their own biased views and stop putting limits on other people about what can and cannot be accomplished.
0: And so, as individuals, what do we do to fight gendered racism? Because we've talked about uh, racism since the beginning of time. Yeah. We've talked about the issues of gender, and since the beginning, and sexism since the beginning of time. So, what, yeah. where do we go from here?
1: I would say that white people need to stop using that that fluffy term, ally. Um, ally is just basically a, a fluffy word. It really means nothing. Um, it's their way of of trying to see themselves instead of really being an, uh, an accomplice. And so I believe that people, white people, need to move from ally to accomplice. And that means they need to stand up. They need to speak out on our behalf um, and work, be a partner with us um so they can walk alongside us they can walk in front of us they can walk behind us they need to ask us how we want them to help us um, and then follow accordingly and not just say i'm an ally but i'm i'm not willing to speak up on your behalf but i'm still your friend if my friend is not willing to speak up on my behalf then we're not friends um and so people need to realize that there's a big difference between having the fluffy term ally
0: and really being an accomplice. So going beyond talk to to action. Going beyond talk to the action, absolutely. So as we close, I want to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests that we have on the podcast, and that is, we ask them to fill in the blank, honestly and openly. And it says, when it comes to race, I admit... So the guests fill in the blank. So I will ask you, Dr. Kimberly Harden, when it comes to race, I admit
1: that it's a complicated issue.
0: Well, that pretty much, that pretty <laughs> much sums it up <laughs> then, doesn't it? It is a, a complicated, it's a, complex issue. It's a complicated, Thank you so complex much for uh, joining us.
1: We need to discuss it more, so, so I appreciate this format to have those conversations. And I think racism can be dissolved by having those hard and open, honest conversations um, and looking at it um, from an open heart.
0: Exactly what we try to do here on the podcast. You've summed it up perfectly. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So I like what Dr. Harden said at the end. When it comes to race, I admit it's complicated. Yeah, she, so, a, someone should
1: write a dissertation paper about <laughs> Exactly, about on that. About this, so, yeah.
0: Because that's what it's all about. But I like how she mentioned, you know, we talk about how to solve things. We may never solve the issue, but the whole idea is having open, honest discussion. And I like how she mentioned open heart, because that's what we talk about here on the podcast. Having an open heart to honestly talk about things, but to listen to, because that's what we don't do enough of.
1: Yeah, and, and I think... I think she had an astounding stat in the mm-hmm. very beginning, which was that 6% of all college faculties, only 6% of it is African American, which sounds insane.
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah. And they're supposed to be the smart ones.
0: That's just, uh, yeah, I just, I don't get it sometimes. If she told me that stat in like 1980, I would believe it. But here we are in 2019. Yes. Are yeah. we really,
1: though? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, we're supposed to be in 2019. There you go. So, everyone, uh, thank you for joining us. Don't forget to connect with us. We have a Facebook page, colorblindpodcast.com. We are on iTunes and Stitcher, where you can find us. And then you connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. In other words, what I'm trying to say is you can find us everywhere.
1: Let us know.
0: And give us a great rating and give us feedback and give us ideas for things that you would like to discuss. And if you want to be a guest, hey, perhaps that as well. Perhaps. Perhaps. (laughs) Yes. All right. So thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. See you. Bye.